This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 2. There's a development in McKinney called Adriatica Village where the architects sought to carve out a part of Texas and create a place that resembled historic Croatia. Each building and structure is made of rough-edged stone, giving it the sense of something that you would expect to see in southeastern Europe. In the heart of Adriatica stands a sculpture called The Promise. When the area was just being developed, Jamie and I would go get coffee there, and I remember when this incredible structure was just a massive piece of unfinished stone sitting in the middle of a roundabout. We couldn't quite make out what it was going to be at first, yet behind the scenes, a plan had been made long before. Artists Matthew Johnson and Claudio Solano joined their creative powers and imagined a remarkable piece of art. As time marched on, the stone was chiseled and shaped and ultimately revealed a magnificent dove that was meant to resemble or symbolize the Holy Spirit. A plaque was bolted to the base of the statue and words were inscribed meant to point the thoughts of each person who would pass by to the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In the verse that just precedes that one, Jesus explained to his disciples that he would soon depart from them, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come and teach them all things and bring to their remembrance what Christ himself had said. As we began our journey through the book of Acts, we find that same promise echoed by Christ once again, adding that not many days from now, they would be, in fact, baptized by the Holy Spirit, an event that we refer to as Pentecost. Before we take another step further, I want to help clarify, uh, for those of you who may be new to the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit is not simply a spirit, but God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, which we've sung about uh, multiple times already this morning. The Nicene Creed confesses the Spirit as the Lord and the life giver that proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped together and glorified together. So as we study Acts chapter 2, we must recognize that it's not here that the Holy Spirit is being introduced in the narrative of Scripture or the timeline of redemptive history. Rather, He's being poured out like never before, empowering the church to live as witnesses, a key word in the book of Acts, witnesses to the person and work of Christ. The presence of the Spirit of God rustles through the pages of the Old Testament. 
The uncreated spirit was present as the universe was breathed into being. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The presence of the comforter was Joshua's joy, Samson's strength, David's song. The prophets foretold of the glorious day when the fullness of the Spirit would come to God's people. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27 promise, I will give you a new heart. I will put my Spirit in you. Yet, these saints of old couldn't quite make out what this might look like at first. But behind the scenes, a plan had been made long before. While the verses we're studying this morning are are debated by some and even avoided by others, my prayer is that we would marvel at them, that we would understand them, and perhaps walk away more convinced than ever this morning of our dependence on the Spirit of Christ in our lives. What role does the Holy Spirit play in your life? What role does the Holy Spirit play in your life? In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, we arrive at the promised day of Pentecost. This unrepeatable yet remarkable scene details what happened at a significant moment in redemptive history that forever changed the way God would relate to his people as he filled and empowered them to live as witnesses in the world. And here we'll highlight two activities found both in this passage and repeatedly through the book of Acts. First, the Spirit fills the church. And second, the mighty works of God are proclaimed. Would you stand with me once more as we read aloud God's holy and inerrant word? Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first activity that we find is the Spirit fills the church. Verses 1 to 4. 
Luke is careful to tell us it was Pentecost, the Jewish holiday whose roots run all the way back to the book of Exodus. Pentecost means the 50th, the 50th day after Passover, when God's people were redeemed from Egypt. This holiday eventually commemorated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, which happened 50 days after that original Exodus event. It was also part of a broader Thanksgiving celebration known as Feast of Weeks, when people from all over the known world would gather like American Thanksgiving and to celebrate the harvest that they had received that spring. The last scene of Acts 1 highlighted how the church was so united together in prayer as they obediently waited on the promise of Christ to come to pass. The introductory verse of Acts chapter 2 reminds us they are still there. They're waiting on Christ for his promise to be fulfilled. Only now, the waiting is over. Suddenly, an ordinary room is flooded with the extraordinary presence of God. Since this is the book of Acts, I want to highlight three phenomenal acts that occur in this upper room. First, there is wind. Wind. Luke does not describe the natural sound of a gentle wind whispering through the walls, but the supernatural sound of this mighty gale booming through the room, filling everyone's hearing with a mighty sound like a train running through the room. The wind represented the Spirit of God Himself entering the place. Both the Hebrew and the Greek word for wind are also used to describe the Holy Spirit. That's important. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said it was the wind or the breath of God that moved through the valley of dry bones, which represented the spiritually dead Jewish nation. And that as the Spirit of God moved and breathed upon them, there was thunder and clatter of bones as they came to life once again. The sound of wind filled the room as the breath of God blew through their midst, bringing spiritual life to the people of God. First, there was wind. Second, there is fire. Something like tongues of fire appeared in the room, then were distributed to every single person, and then rested on every head. This fire did not consume them, but burned within them a spiritual reality. Often in the Old Testament, we find fire when God is present. It was two flaming swords that guarded the presence of God in the garden, Genesis 3.24. A smoking pot that passed Abraham, Genesis 15.17. A burning bush that greeted Moses at Mount Sinai, Exodus 3, 2 to 4. A pillar of fire that led the people through the wilderness, Exodus 13, 21 to 22. And here, the fire of God's presence comes to rest on his people. There's wind, there's fire, and finally, there are tongues. Tongues. Um, as the people are, are gathered, those in the room begin speaking in tongues or languages that they had never heard 
or at least never knew before. These are simple Galileans known for a pretty thick country accent. Uh, as if you're a native Texan, you might think of how people from the east would ruin our language. I don't mean the northeast, though that's also true. I mean places like Louisiana. Uh, I'm going to move on. There is this really... the, the The Galileans were known to speak this very rural kind of Aramaic with a thick country accent. And the dialects of the people uh, were were coming through crystal clear. All these kinds of people. And then the verb filled in verse 4 is an important one. Elsewhere throughout the book of Acts, we'll see it, it describes the initial endowment of the Spirit in the life of a person for a particular service. Or you'll see the Spirit fill people when the gospel needs to be proclaimed. If we think about it, this description of rushing wind and blazing fire and God condescending to reveal himself to his people sounds a lot like something we've seen before, doesn't it? It wasn't too long ago in the book of Exodus that we read of a recently redeemed congregation of Israel standing in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. God led them to a specific place where the winds whistled through the sky. A cloud of fire erupted atop the mountain. The voice of God was heard ringing in the ears of his people. Here, in the book of Acts, the Lord has led his recently redeemed people to Mount Zion, where his presence sweeps through the room. His blazing holiness comes to rest on each of his people, and God the Spirit reveals himself in the most stunning way by filling his people with his presence. In a way, Sinai was a type of what we now see at Pentecost. Erasmus once wrote, On the mountain, the old law was given, written on tablets of stone. In an upper room, the new law was given, written by the Holy Spirit. In both cases, an elevated place, in both cases, fire. And I want to pause in the midst of all of this wind and fire and sights and sounds of this supernatural scene where the church is baptized by the Holy Spirit to remind you, Christian, brother and sister in Christ, that if you've been born again by faith alone in Christ alone, you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It didn't involve these accompanying signs that we see here, but it was no less supernatural. Being baptized by the Holy Spirit is a supernatural thing. The message of this passage contains good news that the Spirit of Christ has been poured out and given to all of his people. So you don't have to wait around for a second baptism, as some will tell you, to know the fullness of the Spirit. Because everything that you need for the Christian life, you've already been given in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul writes, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
And so if you belong to Jesus, you have his spirit dwelling in you. During our study of Exodus, we learned how the heart of God was to dwell among his people. The good news of the gospel is he's not come just to dwell among us, but in us. That's the promise that's yours because of Jesus. So just as we celebrate the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, it would be more than fitting for us to celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit of Christ on a day called Pentecost. We want to celebrate Pentecost. And you and I are called to live in all of the blessings that flow to us because of Pentecost, because Christ has ascended and sent his Spirit. Yet we must understand that Pentecost is not something that we're to try to recreate. This was a once and for all event in the course of redemptive history. We're not waiting for another Pentecost. We're waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus himself. And so I think it would be safe to say that in the church today, there's a lot of confusion about Pentecost. What do we do with it? How does it change our lives? Uh, my friend and, and, uh, and colleague Patrick Schreiner is careful to tell us Pentecost is an unrepeatable event, but it also is not retractable. It's not retractable. As the people of God, we can't go back as if Pentecost never happened. Instead, we must live in all the good that is ours because of it. Um, God has poured out his spirit on the church and he continues to do so. We have reason to celebrate. The, the beauty and truth of Pentecost is ours to wonder at and to live in. The eternal spirit of Christ has filled you, your life as a believer. He has filled the church. Now, does the church leak from our fullness of the spirit? Oh, absolutely. Does your life leak as a follower of Jesus? Yes, it does. That's every time you sin is you're not walking in the fullness of the spirit that you've been saved for. We're not looking for another baptism, but oh, we want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to know God the Spirit as the helper, as the comforter, as the one who has strengthened and empowered us for Christian witness. I think back to that plaque at the bottom of the statue about the peace of Christ. Who needs to hear in this room today, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Because the helper, the Holy Spirit of God, has come to teach you all things and to bring to your remembrance, you forgetful people, the goodness and mighty works of Christ himself. The Spirit has filled the church with the presence of Jesus. That is news to celebrate. The second activity we find highlighted is that the mighty works of God are proclaimed. This is verses 5 to 13. Think back with me to the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It didn't begin with him preaching. It didn't begin with him performing miracles. It began with him being baptized. It was there at the baptism of Jesus that the Holy Spirit descended on Christ and then he began his ministry. Luke says in chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, full of the Spirit. As he then goes around the countryside, the cities proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, the same Spirit descends on the disciples and empowers them for gospel ministry in the world. 
These verses tell us something of their message. First, let's look at the miracle of this message. The miracle of the message is a form of communication like nothing you and I have ever experienced. As the Spirit of God is poured out on the church, they begin sharing with other people what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. Yet when these Galileans go to talk, they are speaking to people who, Luke says, are from every nation under heaven. In verses 9 through 11, he lists all of these people groups and ethnicities and cultures, making the point that people from all over the world as he knew it, the entire Greco-Roman world, people were hearing this message in their own mother tongue. No translation was necessary. The Spirit himself would do that work. This summer, our family had the privilege of spending some time in Holland, and each morning, uh, we would wake up and sing with a group of Dutch preachers. And I, I think no one sings like Dutch preachers in the world. I'm talking about in volume. I think it's something for us to aspire to. But I was just overwhelmed each morning gathering with these men to sing. And the Dutch tradition is, uh, is rich with psalm singing. So they're singing metrical versions of the Psalter in Dutch. And so there I was listening, because my Dutch is, is not what it should be. I don't know any of it, actually. That's, that's what I mean by that. And uh, I would sit there, and I would have been hopeless to sing along, if not for translation. You see, with the slides that were projected, there was the Dutch phrase, and underneath it was an English translation for people like me, not smart enough to know another language. And... Uh, and so that helped me. Well, what we find here is a similar experience, only there is no translation provided except the Spirit himself provides it. This is a supernatural thing. That's why this message is so miraculous. It's accompanied with the power of the Spirit. The second thing I want you to notice about this message is its content. It is barely mentioned here but the content of this message is the most important thing about it. Verse 11 says that the disciples were telling the mighty works of God. That's all it says. They were telling the mighty works of God. Well, how might we translate what that meant? Well, in just a few verses, we're going to see the apostle Peter. Yes, that Peter, the one that denied knowing Christ. He's going to stand up in, in the streets of Jerusalem and proclaim who Jesus is. He's going to proclaim the works of God that Luke is talking about. The sending of the Son, the life and teaching of Christ, the death and resurrection of the Savior. The gospel is the content of the message that was proclaimed. And notice once again, it's not only Peter, it's not only the apostles. They are all prophesying speaking forth the ways and wonders of God, gossiping the gospel to anyone who would listen. And everyone heard it, just as clear as a bell. The mighty works of God. We've seen how Pentecost is, is a type of Sinai. It is also a type of Babel. The Tower of Babel is mentioned in Genesis chapter 11 where the nations of the earth are trying to build a tower to reach heaven itself. 
God condescends, comes down from his throne, confuses the language, and scatters all the people to the four corners of the earth. Pentecost shows those steps in a reverse, or I think more specifically, a redemptive order. At Pentecost, God condescends, sends his spirit from his very heart, gathers a scattered people, and unites the language in order that the good news of the gospel might be proclaimed so that people might know how they can truly reach the joy of heaven, a joy by the way, that is only attained through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the content of the message. And finally, we read the response to the message, verses 12 and 13. And let us note a reality here that we see throughout Scripture, another pattern repeated through the book of Acts. Some people are amazed while others are appalled. The proclamation of the mighty works of God creates a divided response. Some of the crowd witnesses what is happening right in front of them as they hear these mighty works and see it with their own eyes, and this leads them to, Luke says it multiple times, you'll see amazement, bewilderment, wonder. While at the same time, others become scoffers who accuse these messengers of simply being drunk and acting out of sorts. It is a message that divides, but it is a message that demands response one way or the other. As we think about living in the world today as a sent people, a people who have been saved by Christ and sent by Christ in the power of His Spirit, We must recognize that none of our work and calling, none of our fulfillment of the Great Commission is even possible in our own strength. It is impossible apart from the empowerment of the Spirit. This is why we are so dependent on the Spirit of Jesus. I think back to John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. That's one of the lessons that we will I think that's before us now and learn repeatedly in our study of Acts is how dependent we are in our evangelism. None of us has the power to persuade anyone out of their sin. None of you have the ability to open a spiritually blind eye to the truth of who Christ is. None of you can open an ear, a hardened, deafened ear to the truth of the gospel. None of us can change a heart. None of us can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. But one. Jesus can do it. Christ can do it. As we proclaim the good news of the gospel, the spirit of Christ magnifies Jesus and he draws people to himself. Can I just speak to you for a moment? Are your eyes blind to the truth of who Christ is? You've been looking at this book for years, and yet you've never looked believingly upon Jesus. You've heard people speak truth to you as long as you can remember, but you've shut your ear to it. You've hardened your heart toward the free offer of his grace again and again and again. I plead with you, do not harden your heart today. Let the Spirit of Christ convict you of sin. 
Let the Spirit of Christ draw your heart to the person and work of Jesus, the only one who can save. Today could be the day of your salvation, where the Spirit of God baptizes you in the name of Jesus. And Christ himself comes to live in you, gives you a brand new heart. Today could be that day. Are your eyes blind? Is your ear closed? Is your heart hard? Ask that the Spirit of God would breathe upon you and receive new life in Christ. And for each of us who have been saved, we'll see this over and over. We've also been sent. Who is it that God has placed by his own sovereignty in your life so that you might be faithful to proclaim the mighty works of God? And as you are faithful to proclaim, let me remind you again of your dependence on the Spirit. Those of you who know me well know how often I I love to quote Charles Spurgeon. He usually says it more pithy and quicker than anybody else. Spurgeon, each Sunday when he would ascend the pulpit in Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, would, would confess these words as he was going up to preach, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We must be a people with every step we take to be a people who believe in the Holy Spirit living within us, working in us, and praise God, working through us. So in Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13, we arrive at this promised day of Pentecost, this unrepeatable yet remarkable scene that reminds us that God has, in fact, filled us with the Spirit of Christ and empowered us to live as witnesses in the world. Uh, I have a friend who is a poet from England named Malcolm Gite. I'd love to introduce you to him in person at some point. He looks like a living hobbit. (laughs) If you need something to do this afternoon, prove me wrong. You can Google his name, Malcolm Gite. And uh, Malcolm has written a beautiful poem on Pentecost. Uh, to be read on Pentecost Sunday. Well, it's not Pentecost Sunday today, but it is in our text, and I thought this would be a a helpful and fitting way to end our sermon. This is what Malcolm Geit writes in his poem, Pentecost. Today we feel the wind beneath our wings. Today the hidden fountain flows and plays. Today the church draws breath at last and sings as every flame becomes a tongue of praise. This is the feast of fire, air, and water, poured out and breathed and kindled into earth. The earth herself awakens to her maker and is translated out of death to birth. The right words come today in their right order, and every word spells freedom and release. Today the gospel crosses every border. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. Today the lost are found in his translation whose mother tongue is love in every nation. Let's pray. God the Spirit, we adore Thee in the triune Godhead one, one in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son. The Spirit of God, we worship you and confess our dependence and need of you. 
in the Christian life and in Christian witness. Would you fill us to overflowing? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 